Hi, and welcome to the Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Welcome. Uh, today we have Mark Regeer, uh, who is Vice President of Stewardship Investing, Director of Sales at Praxis Mutual Funds. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, it's good to be with you, Mark. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, before I get started, I want to say I've had the pleasure of knowing Mark uh, for several years, including a stint together on the uh, Social Investment Forum of the United States International Committee, where I learned from him what uh, true leadership is really all about. Uh, Mark's uh, lifelong dedication to sustainable and responsible investment has not only had great impact, but his consistently positive attitude has been inspiring, I think, to all that uh, have come in contact with him. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us today, Mark. You're making me blush over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. Um, it, listen, Mark, I wanted to start with a fairly simple question. Your title, it says Vice President of Stewardship Investing. What does that mean, really? Well, stewardship investing is the, the, the concept that we have centered around our understanding of how to invest financial resources. And uh, being part of the larger Everance family of organizations, uh, which is uh, a faith-based group uh, attached to the Mennonite Church in the United States, has sort of given us a framework where we look at managing resources in a way that is both being responsible for the productivity, so for generating increase and providing for families and organizations, but also managing our responsibility to the planet and its people, uh, the communities that we're involved in. So, so we believe that that concept of stewardship, of being a steward of resources, is central to how we look at the investment process. And, 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 and that's possible through your investments. I mean, I have a slight question mark on that because I'm, I've never really worked in the, from a faith-based uh, perspective. Um, and, and you, I think in other venues have said that you can use your faith uh, as a starting point, as a guide for your uh, uh, financial journey in life. Uh, maybe you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, looking at your faith or whatever values are most important to you is an important part of making any dis major decision in life, whether it's who you live with and attach yourself to, who you, um, who you what, what kind of work you do, where you go to school, those sorts of things. And I think it's the same for financial, resource, uh, financial resources and investing. Um, who do you want to work with? Who is going to be your partner in this work? And, and what do you want to see come out of it? Um, you know, there are a lot of people who bring their values even unknowingly to this process. And we're very, very strong advocates that it should be an intentional process. And, and different people will make different choices. And from, from our perspective, that's okay. And there are, fortunately today, lots of good options out there that meet different types of approaches and perspectives. And we just encourage people to explore those and, and find one that fits for them. So uh, when somebody you know, sits down and says, look, I want to align my uh, values, my faith with my uh, financial decision-making. I mean, wh where is the starting point uh, in terms of investments? How would you approach that? 
Well, I mean, obviously, there should always be a sound, um, you know, financial planning process at its heart. So hopefully you're working with an experienced professional who can help you do that. But we also hope you're working with somebody who, who, you know, rather than disparaging the idea of bringing your values into this mix, um, is, is, is connected and aware enough of what's going on uh, in the industry to say, you know, yeah, let's, let's look into that. Let's look at some options that will meet your financial needs and that will also you know, match your values. I think probably where people get most frustrated and perhaps disappointed early in a process like that is that they think that bringing their values means bringing a litmus test of, of sort of specific issues, a, a list of I do not want. And, and while some of that's important, you need to know where those lines are, what you really can't um, what you can't sort of tolerate being connected to or, or having your income generated from. You also need to be somewhat realistic about how markets work, how interconnected they are, and how imperfect many companies are. And, and so um, look at other strategies that can be involved, like corporate engagement, helping improve companies that do disappoint us but have the opportunity to get better. <laughs> There's a few out there that I think have been disappointing us lately. They do. If you look at, and, and I know we, we don't want to talk really about specific investments, but if you look at Praxis uh, lineup of funds, you get a sense that there are a lot of opportunities to make an impact in different ways through different kinds of funds. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think one option, one good way to, to look at sort of this space, and particularly in the equity investment space, is to realize the difference between index funds and actively managed funds. Both pro provide some unique opportunities for, for financial growth, but also some unique opportunities uh, in aligning one's investments with values. And, and you know, index funds, and we produce four um, equity uh, index products, um, and we don't do active management on the equity side. Um, those funds are designed to be very broad and diverse. They are designed to provide very consistent performance, very close to the benchmark. And that that's, provides a good, stable base for many, many investors who need their, their performance to, to, be, to be good and solid. Actively managed funds provide the opportunity for a much more focused portfolio. So you can get perhaps a really clean and green if that's what you're after or <laughs> that really excite you and are also doing well. The challenges, of course, with an actively managed fund is their volatility. The fact that sometimes managers are hot and sometimes they're not. Right. And that's part of the game. And so to the degree to which you can manage those ups and downs or your advisor can, will predict, you know, your, your, your future trajectory financially, but they will look very differently. You, you will be, you will feel differently about those funds. If you look at those small group of holdings of 40 or 50 companies um, versus a large portfolio where you're certain to find things that go, Oh, yuck, I don't like that one. <laughs> well, that's true. But one also needs to remember that the companies that are in that space of disappointment, hopefully not, not, true, you know, obstinate resistance to moving forward, but companies that are perhaps disappointing to us present the greatest opportunity for growth and for change that benefits the planet. Right. I love that term, the space of disappointment. I could have used that <laughs> one. That's fantastic. I, I think you're probably referring to uh, folks who take a peek under the blanket of their maybe their first SRI fund, and they might see companies like Microsoft or Home Depot or 
visa or what have you and go exactly as you said, oh, yuck, I, I don't want that in my fund. I mean, what do you say to people when they do that? Well, I, I mean, my first suggestion is that people say, I wonder what's happening in, in our in our jaded society this day. We, we, we immediately jump to the fact that somebody's cheating us or somebody's not doing what they said they would do rather than saying, huh, I wonder what's happening. Let me find out. And so I encourage people to connect with, you know, somebody at the, at the, at the fund family and say, Hey, I saw this company. Why is it here? I don't understand. And you might be interested in the story that you'll, you get. Um, it might be that you, it isn't as bad as you think it is, or something has changed since you sort of formed your opinion. We all love to find companies to hate, but we hang on to those images <laughs> and companies can change relatively quickly. Um, uh, and it's, it's hard to believe, but, uh, it, it's true, and, and sometimes we want to hang on to that. Oh, that's such a horrible company. Well, 10 years later, they're a very different company. So maybe that's what's happened. Maybe there's engagement going on. Maybe there's, there's hope that the thing that you dislike the most. It was interesting. Walmart just came out receiving a whole bunch of upgrades because of the work it had been doing over the years with shareholders on their own employee base, which has been a huge problem and, and something that we've engaged on and many, many investors have engaged on for years but when they make changes it affects the lives of millions of yeah, workers yeah, one so you point, can ignore them and not help them at all and keep them out of your portfolio right. or you can engage them and you have to choose and different people will have different tolerances but understand why those companies are in your portfolio don't and, presume that they're that somebody's trying to hoodwink you I, I suspect too there are different moments uh, where you have greater leverage as a as a sustainable sustainably minded investor because you know when I saw the Walmart announcement to raise their minimum wage from nine dollars to eleven dollars I say well that's great but it's still for a single worker under poverty line uh, you know but I think there's a moment in in time right now for example um, you know where there's great pressure on unskilled labor sourcing uns unskilled workers and I think that may be a response to that you know, I asked some other people, then they go, well, it doesn't matter where the, you know, what the cause of the change is. It's, it, it's the fact that it happened that is a good thing. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, we've talked lots about um, what's called shareholder advocacy. And, mm -hmm. and maybe that's something that a lot of people don't understand as well. And, and there are moments in time where shareholder advocacy is, has, has had great leverage to make change. Yeah, no, it, it really does. I mean, and, and what's what's hard is that no company will ever want to go out there um, and say, hey, our shareholders have engaged us for the last two years on this this topic and look what we did. So it's also sort of hard to identify because you never get the credit. But but it but fortunately many funds, our own as well as others, are telling the story of shareholder advocacy. I mean, it's a process that often takes years. Um, can grow out of problems, big problems. We were shareholders in BP during the, the, the Gulf oil spill. And trust me, it wasn't a fun company to hold after that. <laughs> um, and got lots of letters and stuff. But we also believed in our own responsibility as shareholders in that company during that disaster to be part of the solution. And we worked, uh, and I led the engagement with BP on the um, social investor side for just about uh, four and a half years. And did we make them a perfect company? Certainly not. And, um, but did we make improvements we thought were incredibly valuable? We did, including helping uh, 
um, remove the chair of, of their sustainability committee, getting a new um, getting a new board member appointed that actually had experience in the environmental management space. So there are m many different things pressuring them on policies uh, for safety and 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 uh, equipment management. So there were things that we felt we could do and to be helpful. Um, and uh, again, did it make them a perfect company? It did not. And are there things to work on? There absolutely continue to be. And our own policies changed at one point, and they're, they're currently no longer available for, for ownership. But, but we think that that idea of engaging companies, and we, we do about 20 to 30 sort of in-depth engagements uh, through our funds every year, and they take a lot of time, they take expertise, they take partnership um, with others in the industry to be truly effective. And... Um, yeah, it's it's part of our part of being of being an impact oriented uh, that, fund. Family. That's a that's a wonderful story, Mark, about having had such uh, an impact on BP. I would have loved to have been, you know, following that as you went through the the process. Um, I wanted to ask you a quick question about that, and then pivot to something else. I mean, BP. I mean, the 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 storyline is that. Prior to Deepwater, uh, they had, and I'll use your wonderful word, hoodwinked uh, the SRI community or the corporate sustainability community by uh, producing these fantastic uh, uh, annual sustainability reports uh, that really was covering over a lot of uh, stuff that we might not have uh, liked so much. Is that, is that accurate or is that just one of those myths? Well, I wouldn't call it a myth. Um, I wouldn't also say it's 100% accurate. I, I think that we were at the dawn then of understanding what corporate, the, imp the role of corporate governance, G has been, from an SRI perspective, has been somewhat a, a novel, you know, and sort of a, a nascent sort of area. And, um, and I think we were at the time, and I, you know, it's funny because we, uh, the ratings that the, that company were getting were leading ratings um, for a, for a fossil fuel company at the time, and I think that we were just beginning to learn what how how does one verify? And again, you have to remember there are a lot of, I mean, these are complex tasks trying to verify what a company is doing in like forty five different countries around the <laughs> world. Is, is a difficult task for even the largest research house and certainly small investors like ourselves. So I think uh, part of it is trying to figure out how does one, you know, move beyond those, those um, great policies. And they did have some of the best policies. They had good people. They had committed people in many respects in some of, some of the right spots anyway. Um, what that disaster I think showed is the challenges of getting that to run throughout the company. And one of the biggest things BP did after that was to focus on corporate culture, which is one of the hardest things to change. Yeah. And they yeah. made great efforts at it. I'm not sure one can say that they solved that problem. And so I think it highlighted some of the complexities. And I, I, I mean, some people got out before some people in the SRI community, some people got out immediately after and sort of claimed they sort of weren't involved. And then <laughs> others got stuck like we did maybe, yeah. uh, you know, saying, well, we're here. We, we got to fix what happened, you know, to right. the degree that we can do that. Right. And I guess there's also, you know, uh, timing of your uh, share sales and et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of factors that go into right. that. But, you know, <laughs> compare that, you know, when I looked at your websites, you know, I felt, it was very compelling. I felt like you were calling out to my own calling in life, and I felt like you were connecting 
uh, me to a, a, a greater responsibility of, of, you know, taking care of the world's resources and communities. And, and you know, I don't, you don't always feel that with, you know, index funds. But, <laughs> uh, you know, in my book, Invest Like You Give a Damn, which I apologize, I did not put you in the body of the, the text. <laughs> oversight I will have to live with for the rest of my life. Um, you know, we talk about, I talked a little bit about, um, you know, high and what I would call high impact investing and, 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 you know, talking about, for example, I just came across today, this wonderful little opportunity called regrained, which makes snack bars out of, uh, the leftover grain, uh, uh from the beer or the brewing process, which is kind of like a, a very Canadian thing. It's a twofer. You get to drink your beer and snacks at the same time. <laughs> but anyways, uh, moving away from beer, uh, you know, what do you make of all these little uh, investments that really do connect people very directly? Yeah. Well, it, it shows really, I think, first of all, it's a testament to the desire people have today, and particularly millennials, um, to connect I mean, again, those values that they hold, the desire for for benefits to the investment. People want to know that they make things happen. Now, obviously, trying to support your retirement through crowdfunding, whoo, you know, <laughs> I don't think there's a financial advisor out there that would be all in for that. Now, to see that as a charitable act, to see that as a, I don't want to say play money, but here's a different type of money, mm. and I'm going to use it in this creative way, I think that's awesome. Obviously, the risk factors are very different than other types of investments, even in the impact space. If you think about, you know, notes like the Calvert Impact Note or some of the other notes that are being issued by groups where there's a level of security and, 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 and oversight and, and management, but they can be these other direct placements through crowdfunding, through, through other sort of, you know, micro lending, peer to peer micro lending, uh, Kiva, other places can be incredibly inspiring. And most importantly, what they do, what we try to do, what you're feeling through our website gets to happen at an even deeper level when you're connecting to the person that you're lending to. Right. And it builds a, a bridge of hopefully, hopefully understanding um, shared risk clearly because if they don't succeed, generally you don't get your money back. <laughs> so, um, I mean, depending on the product. So, so, you know, you are in it together. And I think that, and when that happens across communities, across social lines, across racial lines, across national lines, it really opens some new doors. So I really encourage people to do it, but to do it with the reminder that, and a lot of those platforms, I say Kiva, for instance, no interest at all. So you're doing it for the fun of it. Hopefully you'll get your money back, but so you really got to watch it and, and where, what role it plays right. in your right. plan. But, but anyway, it's a great thing. Um, and we mirror some of that. I mean, we're one of the few funds to maintain a 1% commitment to community investment. So we, uh, we have over $12 million invested in high social impact investments, not quite on the, you know, individual level, but lending to nonprofits that in turn are lending to those individuals um, all around the globe. And um, one can see an impact map on our website um, and, and see how we're doing that. So it's, it's a way of, of, for us, that commitment to including those on the margins in our portfolio. Again, not as charity, but as part of the financial process. And right, right. we, we want to draw them into the economy and help everybody participate. Yeah. I, one of the things I did write in, in my book is that 
this kind of visceral connection that you can have with an investment really will stimulate you to do hopefully the the harder work and and often the the less immediately rewarding work of of you know selecting um, mutual funds or selecting a different advisor all that stuff that's a little bit harder work if you make a small investment right away it sort of pushes you off of the dock of conventional investing so to speak towards more sustainable investing and I think that that's something that uh, if you look at uh, Praxis's uh, website which is praxismutualfunds.com if you look at the website you feel that you feel like yeah I'm going to be connected to something that's bigger than myself Mark why don't you just you know, plug a little bit about what you what you all do at Praxis, and then uh, then we'll wrap up. Okay. Well, yeah, we offer um, five different funds, four um, uh, indexed equity funds, um, uh, a uh, large cap growth, a large cap value, uh, a small cap index, as well as an international index, which follows the Acqui XUS and. To get around the jargon, that really means that we include the developed markets and also the emerging markets. So, so um, have have that sort of involved uh, in that index. On the active side, one of our our flagship fund is our uh, the Praxis Impact Bond Fund, which is probably one of the top two or three mutual funds in the country for investments in. Uh, what we call positive impact bonds. Um, we've been leaders in green bond investing, the first U.S. investor in uh, the World Bank green bond program when it started about seven years ago, uh, and have been really a leader in investing in, in many different types of innovative fixed income, which is an exciting story because it connects the impact that you like in terms of some of that direct connection, knowing that you're supporting um, renewable energy, you're supporting microfinance in, uh, or, or initiatives in, in, in low-income countries around the world through like an IFC bond uh, that's, that's funding microfinance groups. Um, in your fixed income portfolio, which is the sleepy corner of your portfolio that you just sort of set aside. And so this is a, an incredible trans transformation of opportunity for impact, taking sleepy money that most people ignored and say, you know what, take that 10%, 15%, whatever it is, and put it in a fund that actually can do stuff that you would love to be able to do through private equity, like investing in wind farms. Well, you can do that through bonds that are in the impact bond fund. And 27% today of our bonds in the impact bond fund are supporting um, exciting things in both the social and environmental arena. We call climate and community. That's fantastic. Um, I, I need to close. We need to close up here. But um, as I always remind uh, listeners, uh, we can't actually recommend anything uh, in terms of investments that get mentioned. But I do urge you to check out uh, PraxisMutualFunds.com to see if any of the investments there fit your needs. Our guest today has been uh, Mark Regeer, the Vice President of Stewardship Investment Director of Sales at Praxis Mutual Funds uh, and a longtime friend. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us. It's been a true delight, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. 
And remember, it's up to you, it's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.